Hi, I'm Brad Rex, the former vice president for Disney's Epcot theme park, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Hi there, I'm Lee Cockrell. I'm the former executive vice president of Walt Disney World, and Mickey Mouse was my boss. And you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and lend us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can drive all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your host, Kim Dykes. This is Kim with the Coaster Challenge podcast. And today I'm talking with Don Helbig, the current area manager of digital marketing and former public relations person at Kings Island. Our executive producer, Andrew, will also be joining us today. While Don's work at the park is highly recognized, he is also well-known as a theme park enthusiast who has set several world records for his number of rides on the racer at Kings Island. Welcome to the podcast, Don. Well, thanks for having me, Kim. Looking forward to talking with you. All right. Well, let's get started with you telling us about yourself. Well, uh, I was born in Cincinnati and I've lived here most of my life. I've had some stops um, because of, you know, where I was working at the time, Louisville, Kentucky. I lived there for a little while, uh, late 80s, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, Albany, New York. Uh, but before Kings Island, I spent 18 years in professional hockey. Uh, I was a media relations director. I'm also a play-by-play radio broadcaster. Uh, so I was doing that. I was in Albany when the opportunity to come to Kings Island and be the parks public relations area manager back in 2007. And at the time, you know, I really loved what I was doing in hockey, was very well established there, Um, but it was an opportunity to come back home to Cincinnati, but also, you know, be able to do something that, you know, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to work at Kings Island in a marketing capacity. So, um, you know, the opportunity was there. I looked at it as nothing ventured, nothing gained, you know, while we really were having a good time in Albany. And uh, just came back and uh, started 2007. Well, it is so interesting to hear all of that about you. You are clearly a man of many talents. From my experience with you and at Kings Island, you brought some wonderful, wonderful things to the theme park community. And we are very appreciative of that. Now, we're going to get started with our questions. And our first questions are going to be about roller coasters. What was your very first coaster that you remember riding? The first coaster that I ever rode, and I do remember riding it uh, very well, like it was yesterday, was the racer at Kings Island. Now, the year before, uh, Coney Island in Cincinnati was in its final season. That was the big thing that my family, we would do that um, every year. Now, we didn't go on vacations to like Florida and, you know, like all the other you know, kids in the neighborhood and that were doing our vacations were going to Coney Island. We would go uh, Memorial Day weekend with our cousins. We would go 4th of July. We would go. So we're there on Labor Day, the last day of the parks. 
open. I had not ever been on a roller coaster before. I was always intrigued by the shooting star, which was similar to the racer. Uh, I went line. You had ride tickets you had to give. So I dropped my tickets in the box, went through, sat in the seat, and then got out. The train behind it, it would go through like a little helix tunnel and it was just so loud. And, you know, when you're that young, you know, it just kind of frightened me a little bit. And I got out of the seat and didn't ride it. Biggest regret I have in, in terms of my uh, involvement with the amusement theme park industry, you know, my whole life there. But the next year, you know, Kings Island's open and, and wasn't down the street from us. I grew up in Anderson Township, which is near uh, where Coney Island is. So it was as my dad referred to out in the boondocks with uh, Mason, Ohio, from where we live. So it was a once a year type of thing. So we went uh, that year one time and, uh, you know, I looked at the racer, you know, and I was intrigued by it, but it was so massive back then, you know, it was the longest, the tallest, the fastest roller coaster out there at the time. Hard to believe now when you look right behind it, you got, you know, Orion dwarfs to ride. Um, but, but it, you know, just beautiful with the red, white, and blue. And I kept looking at it. My cousins who we went with, they're cycling through and they're riding it over and over again. They keep, you know, asking me to go ride it with them. You know, I want to know part of it. Well, finally, my cousin Paul, he says, Well, how about I'll give you 50 cents to ride it? Well, that was big money, you know, to me back in 1972, because I was getting like a quarter a week allowance. So I was like, I'm doubling it up here. So yeah, I'll take the 50 cents. So went through the line and uh, rode the racer and just, you know, fell in love with the, the racer roller coasters. And, you know, it was nonstop since then. I grew up in the boondocks as well. I grew up in Maysville, Kentucky, right across the river from Aberdeen, Ohio. And Kings Island for my family was a once a year trip. Yeah. And it was, you know, like the night before Santa Claus came. And I do remember my first coaster very well. It was then called Steve. Yeah. Hanna-Barbera Land at Kings Island. That was my first one. Yeah, that was number three for me. Okay, so of all the coasters you've ridden, what's the one coaster you can think of that scared you the most? It's the first one, the racer. I was terrified going through the line, and you know, you, you know, you, as you keep moving, you're getting closer and closer to that moment where you have to get in the ride, and you know, I was just terrified about it. And I get it in the seat, the lap bar goes down and it's locked. I can't get out. You know, it's going to happen now. And just climbing that hill, would seem like forever, the lift hill that it took to get to the top and get to the top. And I looked out and just, you know, you look straight down the racer and you see the split and everything else. And, uh, you know, it goes down those, you know, a couple of small hills and it went up the fourth hill. That was where it scared me the most because at that time, that climb seemed like, it was just way, way up there. And now it's, I mean, it's not a, not a huge hill now, but back then, you know, that to me was like, where are we going? You know, we go right off the track here or something. Now if you're racing, you're familiar with the second and the third car in each thing have, you can put your feet up under, underneath the seat in front of you. I had my feet up under there, you know, you're getting all this massive air time. I'm gripping the, the buzz bar at the time. And, uh, you know, I'm just holding on for dear life you know, going around and it splits, then it comes back in, but you're getting all this airtime. And then it comes back in the station. And, uh, you know, I was like, what, you know, just happened, but, you know, a, a light went on and it was, you know, like, I love this. Let's go do it again. And I ended up riding it nine times that day. So Don, how old were you that day? Nine. Nine years old. Okay. 
nine years old. Yeah. And just, you know, barely tall enough to ride it. Interesting. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess living in Ohio, working for Cedar Fir for Kings Island. They, you know, obviously you've, I'm sure you've been on the other coasters at your park, you know, Cedar Point as well. So you've been on Topple Dragster, right? Running Force, right? right. Um, have you been on coasters like uh, like X2 um, Magic Mountain? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like all of those, the ones I just mentioned, like those are those are not those were not scarier when you rode them. It was always that race. No, not at all. Not just the first time, you know that that I ever went on something like that, and going, you know, that fast and. Um, you know, just felt out of control. But after that, I mean, there was never a roller coaster that scared me to go on. There were things about different roller coasters that based on what they did, you know, right. and, and like going through loops and those kind of things. Sometimes I'm a little, you know, apprehensive, and especially I get older, you know, you can't handle as many of the loops as you could <laughs> when you were in your teens or something. But those are the kind of things that, you know, just based on what the ride does more so than ever being terrified of a ride. So I, I think you're our first guest. I might be mistaken on this, but I think you're first guest we've ever had where their first coaster was the, was the one that really yeah. their fears. Yeah, and, I never had a fear of height or any heights or anything yeah. like that. So I mean, when you know, I'm a young kid, I, I have no problem going up in the Eiffel Tower. You know, no problem going right. up on rides like Drop Tower. Um, you know, Millennium Force, any of those kind of rides. So height never bothered me. Uh, at all so it was more of the what the the ride does you know in terms of that kind of a thing a little bit where it doesn't always agree with me uh, but never never afraid of anything outside of that first experience I remember my scariest ride at Kings Island even though my family went to Kings Island every year I was never really allowed to get on any roller coasters except the beastie because I was told all, all the time growing up, everything was scary. And, you know, that fear over time, it gets pre-programmed into your mind. And we went to my senior night in high school back in 1994. Yes, I'm aging myself a little bit. <laughs> to Kings Island. And everybody wanted to ride Vortex. And <laughs> I'd only been on the base D. But I wasn't gonna be the only one you know <laughs> right. of a whole group of people that wasn't gonna ride so I pretty much did it on a dare and I got on vortex my first ride was at night and my response was the same as yours when I got when you got off of the racer when I got off of vortex it's like what have I been missing yeah. this was actually fun yeah <laughs> let's go do it again and, you know, a, that yeah. was a, that was an eye-opening experience for me and then i was pretty good you know building up the coasters and that sort of thing until i rode um my my son got me on diamondback the first time in 2018 and i think my handprints may still be in those restraints somewhere <laughs> from the first time that we <laughs> Yeah, now my mom and dad, they never would ride roller coasters. They always, you know, were, were afraid of them, you know, thought they were dangerous. They'd always tell me like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, we'd go to the park. Are you sure? Let's go ride this instead. Um, but I would always, you know, tell them like, you know, I'm, I'm more likely to, to get, you know, hurt watering the lawn. I'm going, you know, I'm going to ride this. So absolutely. Yeah, you know, Kim, it's interesting, uh, and you and I are about the same age, so don't worry about the, the showing your age thing, but, but you and I, we are, 
I think a lot of people, especially people are in their maybe some of the later 20s, but certainly 30s, 40s and older, uh, we both conquered our fears, our coaster fears and whatnot on an Arrow Mega Looper. For you, it was Vortex. For me, it was Great American Scream Machine at Great Adventure. And it was the same situation for me. I was there with a bunch of friends from school, actually senior day at the park, you know, in the spring, right before the, before the end of the school year, before we graduated. And my friends, you know, I was right there in front of the park. My friends dared me to get on it. They, you know, they peer pressured me, but it was my friends. So, you know, it wasn't like, you know, bullying or anything like that. And they were nice about it. And then the same thing, when I got off, I'm like, take me to all of the looping coasters, take me to all the coasters I've not been on yet. And so that, you know, that's what you and I went through. I think a lot of people, you know, rides like that because there were so many of them or even a corkscrew, an older arrow looper. But Don, I mean, I just, I, that's awesome. And I just love, that's why I think I love about doing these interviews is getting different perspectives, you know, where it was your first coaster, it was a Woody, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's the one that broke your fears. And then everything else was, was smooth sailing. Yeah. Or less. yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you talk about the Vortex and, you know, when that first came out, you know, as big as that was and six inversions, the way I looked at that, because I'd never been on anything, you know, that was that that size of a, of a coaster at the time, the, you know, the Race from the Beast were the two biggest ones I'd been on, you know, going into 1987. Uh, but for me, I looked at Vortex and I said, okay, it's just like the Screaming Demon, only there's six more of those loops. I mean, five more of the loops there. So right. um, I just looked at it that way as I'm doing what I already have done on the Screaming Demon, but just five more times. Now, Don, when was the first time you rode the Beast? 1979 yeah when it opened uh, yeah um, it was uh you know august the third or second you know august second i think it was actually yeah and um you know i because i was playing baseball that summer i didn't get to the park as early as i wanted to right uh, when it first opened in you know may june july so uh we get there in august and uh you know rode it three times the line at that time was like an hour and 15 minutes hour and 20 minutes long hmm. uh, you know you hear these reports about three hour wait times and everything for the beast of first season it took a while for them to, to add that second and third train on there so yeah those first couple weekends when there was one train yeah it was going to be three hours four hour waits for it uh, but once they had the third train that by the time i got there they were running three train operation and uh you know but that was another one of those things you know you ride that ride it changes your life doesn't it you know because I... now all of a sudden you know, there's nothing like this out there anywhere that you'd ever been on. Even to this day, there's nothing like that yeah, out there. You know, there's wooden coasters, but none like that. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about fear, with especially in framing of coasters and thrill rides, you know, there's obviously inversions, there's heights, there's speed, there's acceleration, uh, you know, just, you know, maybe specific elements or, you know, things like that. But there's also, and this is not just with coasters or theme parks or thrills, but also in life, there's fear of the unknown. And the beast, that's all about the unknown because you can't, especially back in 79, there was no POVs. You no. know, it was, you know, very few people had ridden it, even word of mouth. So, and, and you, the, what you can see there in the queue and like when you first get on the ride, it is a fraction of what the ride's all about. So that f- there was no fear of the unknown for you getting on that the first time. No, that made it more exciting for me that I couldn't <laughs> tell what it was going to do. Now, I went up in the Eiffel Tower before riding it, you know, looked out uh, okay. as much as you could see. You could see the, you know, the two lift hills at that time, uh, you know, wasn't as wide open of an area at that point, you know, with the ride where the bat hadn't been built yet. The vortex wasn't that spot. So it was more trees right there. So it was a little bit more hidden. Uh, but I just, you know, looked at it and thought, OK, it's yeah, it's taller than the racer and you know, but I didn't know what it was going to do, but I thought that made it, you know, even more exciting to, to get on a ride where I couldn't see it. 
Yeah. And actually, that's a really good point. That's one of many flavors of the one of the positives of conquering fear with with say coasters and rides mm-hmm. in that it goes from being scared of everything like oh scared of the inversion scared too fast too tall to we've broken that fear it's like oh bring it on oh oh i you don't know half of what that ride is oh there's another lift hill out there oh there's some crazy tunnel helix thing even if you heard it you're you get excited about it or you know even not knowing anything about it like bring it on you know for me that's exemplary in the past few years first time I ride a coaster, I'll have my hands up the whole time. I, you know, in the past I'd be like, well, I'm going to hold on or, you know, I don't know what this is about. It's my first time on it. You know, these unknown experiences bring them on it. Like you said, it makes it more exciting. So now they had like a cup uh, where you would get like a Coke, but they had like the design of the ride on there. The yeah. So I could tell from that, you know, I was like, okay, it doesn't have the Hills like the race, you know, so I might not be coming up and down out of my seat, which is where the fear comes from when you're on a lot of roller coasters with an abundance of airtime. You know, where I looked at that and I thought, I'm probably not going to get that airtime on this ride. So, you know, that's going to make it okay. You know, even though you didn't know what it was going to do, you know, I looked, okay, this is going to be based on on speed. Right. And just ripping, you know, not really like the Kings Island Miami Valley Railroad, only, you know, only faster is the way I looked at it. Just looking at the, the, um, you know, the the glass or the, the cup. Right. Makes sense. Okay. Going back to the racer and that very first ride, how were you feeling when you approached the station? I was an exhilarating experience. I mean, I've never had anything like that uh, kind of experience before. Uh, So it was, um, you know, you conquered the fear, number one, you know, of getting on that ride. Then you kind of regretted, why didn't I do this at Coney Island with the shooting star uh, with that? But just the most fun I ever had, you know, up to that point in my life. And I couldn't wait to get back in line and ride it again. It's interesting that you said that because I've had very mixed feelings going through the stations of rides that I've been afraid of. I remember, you know, that night before I rode Vortex, I was literally scared to death going through the station. I was so nervous. My palms were sweating. I could hardly breathe. I was holding on for dear life. You know, and then, you know, conquer Diamondback. My next step, you know, thing to conquer was Fury. I was nervous as could be going through the stations of both of those coasters. But then when I got to Top Thrill, it was kind of like the calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. I was so calm, probably too calm, going all the way through the line queue, waiting through that line. The fear didn't set in until I was in the seat. <laughs> And that's when I really started contemplating my life decisions as to whether or not that was a wise thing to do. And of course, you know, after we did it the first time, I was then on a mission. I saw all the kids put their hands up on the launch. I'm like, okay, how do I do this? I'm not leaving until I do this or I'm going to be mad at myself for not overcoming this. It took me five rides to finally do it. And then after I did it, I had to write it again, you know, to make sure when I came back to see the point that I still had that same level of comfort and confidence riding the ride. So it's definitely been a roller coaster of emotions, literally for me. Yeah, it took me about seven, I think it was about my seventh ride on the racer in, in 72 when I finally put ends up. You know, I wasn't afraid of it after the first ride, but I still, you know, with the airtime, I was still a little apprehensive. 
part of it. But seventh ride, you know, around that eighth ride, I put my hands up and, and, uh, you know, was able to, to conquer that feel of fear of not having to, to, to grip it as tight. Another one for me at Kings Island was drop tower. I had not written anything really, you know, other than the vortex. And I just decided it, I was back. It was back in my twenties. At some point I was in college. One day I just decided it would be a, a bright idea to drop top on drop tower. And I had never experienced any sort of force like that before. I remember <laughs> quite well when I came off of drop tower, I was literally walking sideways and I had to go sit down for about 30 minutes. This is a true story. And it wasn't until spring of last year, 2021. I looked at my son. I said, this is it. This is the day. I'm now getting my revenge on drop tower. <laughs> and we're doing this. You know, you've done, I've said, kept telling myself, I'm like, you've done top field drags or you've done, I'm, you know, all the rest of this. There's absolutely no reason you could not get on a drop tower and enjoy it. And um, we did it. I held on for dear life the first time, you know, first few times. I don't remember exactly how many rides it took, but he told me, he said, now, you know, this is something we learned from our coaster kids friends. He said, you got to drop zombie style. That's when you put your hands and feet out mm -hmm. in front of you when you drop. <laughs> and I'm now happy to say that is the only way I ride drop towers. <laughs> yeah, the thing I love about drop tower and those types of rides is no matter how many times you ride them, it's never the same experience because you just cannot get used to that second when it's going to drop. No matter how many times you do it, you can never anticipate here it is and be ready for that. Good point. Absolutely. So you said when you got off of that first ride from Racer, you wanted to do it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. What are some other feelings you had after that first ride? You know, I think it was just that, you know, first I thought, you know, being that young or whatever that, uh, you know, I felt like I was an adult because I could handle it. Um, a little bit, but no, I, I don't know. I mean, really, it was just one of those um, feelings that, you know, you, you didn't have something like that. It wasn't something you could do at home, you know, it wasn't uh, an everyday experience. It was unique. Um, it was fun, you know, it was interesting. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out how it stays on the track, you know, all those kind of things it was going through my mind that, uh, that first day on it. Did it impact your life? And if so, in what ways after riding the coaster? It did impact my life, but not until later uh, in the 80s when I started going up and riding it over and over again. And um, so I kind of really, I would say, oh, you know, who I kind of am as a person, what I became, what I'm able to do, you know, with my job and all those kind of things that doesn't happen if I don't ride the racer like I did in the 1980s, uh, you know, growing up. Um, you know, I wasn't one of the popular kids in school or anything like that. I was kind of, um, I would use the word very introverted, didn't really talk to anybody, you know, um, wouldn't raise my hand to answer, answer questions in, in school. Um, didn't really fit in with the neighborhood kids. The only time that I really felt, um, you know, like I was having a good time or fit in was when I was either playing sports, going to a sporting event or at an amusement park. So uh, it was kind of like that escape for me to get away from 
you know, what I was growing up with in my neighborhood just wasn't fun. Um, I, I had a lot of, you know, kids that would like pick on me. I was, you know, not that tall, I was kind of scrawny and that. So it was very easy for the kids to kind of like bully me, push me around and that kind of thing. So, you know, doing what I, I did with the race and being forced into talking about it with the media and everything by the PR team at that time in the 1980s with the media and that it, it kind of made me more outgoing and, um, you know, I, I felt more comfortable around people. Um, you know, I, I didn't trust people, you know, during my, my years in elementary school and middle school, high school. Um, and it was Kings Island where the, the, there was you know, a couple of people that for the first time I said, you know, these people are generally uh, genuinely nice to me. I never experienced that before until I got to Kings Island. So those kind of things, you know, just being able to uh, to trust people, talk to people, uh, just open up a little bit and not, uh, not be so introverted and, and uh, reserved. I can relate to you real well on the school experience. I shared with you earlier that when I first started to come into the coastal community, my goal was to, you know, just blend in not even really be seen much less heard and that was through repeated you know being made fun of all the way through school if I wasn't made fun of for one thing when I was younger I was chubby I was made fun of for that then once I hit middle school I started thinning out so I was made fun of for other things and it just you know went all the way through high school and um one of the another reason I am on this podcast I am on a mission to overcome my fear of public speaking because, you know, when you're treated like that in school and then you're stood up in front of the class to give presentations and you're mocked and made fun of and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, it has a lasting impact. And here I am (laughs) at 46 years old, you know, just working on my public speaking skills. That's just another level of fear for me that I'm working to overcome. Yeah, I never would have been able to, to get up in front of a group of people and speak had I not done what I did with the race. Um, and that doesn't happen if I don't have those first feelings from that first visit, you know, what I ended up doing in the 1980s with it. But um, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, made me, uh, you know, more outgoing, more comfortable talking to people. Um, Ruth Voss was the PR manager back in the 1980s. She, you know, would have media come out and talk to me. So I had to say, some things I look back, you know, now if I was to pull out the tapes and watch some of those first interviews I did in 1981 when I was approaching like a thousand rides on the racer, and I, mean, I would cringe, you know, because I didn't really know what to say or anything like that. But, you know, then people start to know who, who I was at the park, you know, whether it was the associates, um, you would have other pass holders and that. And then it just became a situation where, um, you know, I was forced into to interacting and talking with people. And had I not done that, you know, I'm still probably the same person today that I would have, I, I wasn't, you know, in high school coming out and not, uh, you know, not wanting to talk or interact with people. I would just be kind of a loner. That's pretty awesome, Don. Uh, I, I've not been interviewed like that, you know, as far as, you know, having, you know, a, you know, achieved so many rides. The only ride actually personally that I've kept track of re-rides on because it became my number one last year and being a big, much bigger enthusiast now than I've been in the past, much more into the hobby, uh, it's Velocicoaster and I'm up to like 141 rides on it or something like that. Um, but, you know, there's many other rides I've been on many times, but just haven't kept track. But I've got a couple of friends here in Florida, uh, more towards Tampa. They live in Tampa. And uh, since Iron Guazi opened, they're they kind of competing with each other. Uh, they're both ACE members like myself. 
um, for most rides in Aranguazi, and there are, I don't think about many hundreds at this point. The ride's only been open for a few months as we record here, but uh, I just, you know, it's, it's great enthusiasm, but I mean, for you, I mean, this, and this is, you know, back in the late seventies and eighties to get over a thousand rides that I'm in that early time period. That's, you know, and that's, that's awesome. That's just so awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and back then too, when I, you know, you think about, it, I wanted to be a, a sports broadcaster, which you have to talk to be able to do that. Now I could sit in a little booth and describe the game and all that, but it's just me talking, you know, and I'm not seeing the people in front of me, you know, so I wasn't really going to have to interact with people. So I was okay with that part of it, but you put me in a group when I was 18, 19 years old, you know, I, I felt awkward. I just didn't know how to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. No kidding. And by the way, Kim, I've made a mental note. So, you know, you're probably going to hope I don't remember this. So when we have our next meetup, hopefully we have a meetup this year, like we did last year, we will have to make sure that you are part of the presentation, reading, you know, talking to everyone before the, we get on the coast or whatever we're doing. So that way you can do some public speaking in front of people live. So. Absolutely. I'm actually up for that. Nice. It's interesting because, you know, people have asked me as a teacher, they're like, if you're public speaking, you're in front of people all day, every day. I'm like, no, I'm in front of children. <laughs> I teach elementary school. For me, that's a lot different than standing up and speaking at a staff meeting. Right. And, you know, that's, uh, and I still, it's, it's a lot better, but, you know, once in a while that voice will still creep into my head and I just have to remind myself, you know, these are not the same people that did that. They're not going to respond to you this way you know, so out with the negative and in with the positive, you can do this. <laughs> nice. The more I do it, the easier it gets, but it's still a work in progress. Nice. Okay. So for our next question of all of the coasters you've ridden, what has been your craziest moment on a coaster? It was the beast, um, 1982. And it looked like it was going to rain. We sprinkling a little bit, so you know we still still get on the train front seat. But as the train's going up the lift, to all of a sudden, it just started pouring. Oh, hard! I mean, it just was coming down like the type of rain where you're on the road driving, you can't see in front of you. It and then if you're the ride crew, I mean, you gotta you can't just leave people sitting on the lift hill, so you gotta cycle them through. So I was kind of laughing a little bit going up the lift hill, but as soon as it went down the drop and that's just hitting my face and everything, it hurt. <laughs> you know? And then going, you know, through the whole ride, it just, you know, I never had felt it was like needles and everything like hitting your face. And then as soon as we hit the, the brake run coming back into the station, it stopped raining. <laughs> I'm soaked. Everyone else in the train soaked. You know, we all just felt that's like funny. we got you know, you know, just pelted with this stuff. Uh, but that was probably the wildest different ride experience that I've ever had. And, um, you know, nowadays, you know, you, they wouldn't run the, you know, with the, the weather, you know, they would know that it was coming in or something like that, but just one of those pop-up things that just happened to hit that lasted about five minutes, the length of the ride and it was done. The sun came I, out, but I remember that ride. So Don, my first visit to Kings Island was back in 2001 uh, says, you know, the Jeff uh, Siebert days and so forth. And um, wound up meeting up some ACE, ACE members that I was 
friends with online. This is before Facebook and social media. This is like roller coaster talk on Yahoo. And they were, you know, ace members and it's telling them I was heading out there. I said, Oh, when you come to Kings Island, we want to give you, we want to show you around, make sure you have a great day. And, and uh, you know, it's awesome. And I've done that many times since in my own parks and whatnot. And, but it was a couple of guys and they were so nice. And they, they saw Jeff around the park and me to him. And just a wonderful day, a magical day. And uh, we'd ridden the beast during the day. And I was blown away by it. And we were in the park in the evening and it had gotten dark. And we were, I don't know what we were doing, but the guy said, wait a second, it's nighttime. We got to ride night ride on the beast. And so we get over there and, you know, that's the whole station's made out of wood and we were right towards the front of the line. And, you know, the ride up on the microphones, getting everyone riled up and everyone's stamping their feet on the wood. And I was getting caught in the moment. It was awesome. And then we get on it and I didn't realize because we were inside with the, you know, protection of the, of the station, but it was raining. So not only was my first night, not night ride, but my first night ride with rain, steady rain. But, you know, the beast, as you said earlier, is a speed machine for a wooden coaster. And uh, I wouldn't say it hurt. It hurt here and there. But it was just a crazy experience being my first night ride and having that rain as well. Because I hadn't really ridden coasters in the rain before that. And go figure, my first on the beast. So, Yeah, with the racer, you know, with just the series of hills, when I've ridden in the rain, it wasn't as bad. You know, with the beast, it's, you know, the straightaways. And, it's, and when you're in the front, it was just coming right down on me. And uh, I remember, I mean, it's like it's one of the most memorable rides I've ever had. That's awesome. One of my craziest moments on a coaster involves tsunami-type rain as well. And it was on a coaster, Kings Island. It was back in 2020 when we had to wear the mask. It had barely rained a drop a whole day. It was, weather was fine. And we were in line for the last train of the night on Orion. And about 10 minutes before we got on the coaster, it just absolutely started pouring in sheets. <laughs> and all these people were running out of line. I mean, scattering like ants. And uh, we're like, well, we're going to get soaked running to the parking lot. So we may as well go ahead and ride. And I remember my kids got in the front. I went in the back. It reminded me of that song, Hurt So Good, mm-hmm. from the 80s. But the funny part was with that mask on, first of all, with my glasses, I couldn't see a thing. And I had water up my nose <laughs> throughout the <laughs> yeah. entire ride. I could not breathe. And I just know when we got off that coaster, we laughed all the way to the car we could not stop laughing it was just so funny and what was even funnier were the looks we got in speedway after we left the park (laughs) yeah (laughs) what happened to them but um that that's one of my crazy stories from the rain (laughs) and there's definitely nothing quite like a pins and needles rain ride (laughs) that's for sure but my kids got it worse in the front than I did in the back. So I called that a win. (laughs) I would too. All right. So you've told us your favorite coaster is the racer. What would you say is your least favorite coaster of all the coasters you've ridden? The least favorite, it's no longer operating. Um, It was Drakenfire at Bush Gardens, Virginia. There was an ACE event Ace Conference, 1992, and the ride looked really good, you know, from the midways and that. I mean, it looked looked good. It was just painful, just getting slammed into the seats and everything on the ride. 
I got off the ride and I was like, I got to do it again just to make sure it was that rough, that hard. <laughs> it was again. So now I'm like, well, maybe the third time's the charm. Oh, no. no. <laughs> it was like instant headaches, um, you know, just just getting, you know, it was just hard, hard on the body at that point in time, you know. So that would be the one that I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't. It was just not like I would say the ride that wasn't uh, wasn't fun. The only coaster I've ever been on where I just did not have fun on it. You are a tougher person than I am. <laughs> I, well, I, I had to make sure it wasn't just me. You know, I'm like, okay, I rode near the front. Well, maybe it's the middle seat. No, let's try in the back. No, <laughs> after the third time, I was like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so Don, you don't have any, as they say, Togo coasters. Tried ones, got off which many Togo coasters that made by Togo are, but anyway, you don't have anything like that. You always like give it a couple more chances and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always do. I always want to make sure, you know, cause sometimes it's where you sit, you know, on the train, you know, with different, uh, different sure. rides, but, um, but no, I mean, everything else, I, I've always had fun on just about every other coaster I've ever been on, but that was just the one that, you know, I gave it three chances and it was just a no. Mm. <laughs> and there's a reason why it didn't last long, obviously. So okay. three strikes are out. Yeah. 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 I have a few of the, what Andrew calls Togo coasters. For me, I call them one and done. <laughs> I remember King Cobra back at Kings Island, and mm-hmm. I had a wonderful experience on that ride. Speaking of it. Togos, by the way. Yeah. yeah. That, was, yeah. <laughs> that was a fun one. And I remember on the first trip we took to Carowinds, I got the bright idea to get on vortex i was so excited and telling my children just how fun king cobra was that was one and done my legs felt like they were going to explode they it absolutely beat my head to death and (laughs) when i have two children look at me saying the same thing we didn't write again and uh, the other one that i think is quite comparable to that there's a couple blue flash the backyard the john ivers backyard coaster Mm -hmm. to ride that one last july and that's turned into one of those i mean it's literally a ride at your own risk deal yeah for a reason (laughs) i i did i did great on the first ride he asked me he said do you want to ride again i said no i'm not going to tempt fate he told me basically how and when to move I did it right the first time, but I didn't injure myself. So I call that a win, but I, I didn't want to try that one again. And then uh, last year we went up to Michigan's adventure Thunderhawk. I've never felt a coaster feel like it was going to amputate my arms. It was the worst shoulder pain I think I've ever experienced in my entire life. I could not bring myself to get on that coaster again. So we've talked about your love of coasters, but I also know that you love theme parks. I do. Coasters. As a theme park enthusiast, what are the things you look for in a park visit to make it the best experience possible for you? Well, what I do before I go, I kind of, you know, want to want to research it and, and see what rides that I want to do, make a priority list uh, to make sure I'm hitting those early in the day. So I'm not, you know, writing them at the, you know, the time where the line might be the longest. So I want to do things like that and make sure that I, I definitely get the priority list knocked off. Um, I'm looking 
for things too, that if I'm with my family or friends, you know, things that we can all do together. I mean, it's not fun if you're on a coaster and, you know, your two friends or your, your you know, your spouse and, you know, your, your child's not tall enough to ride or something like that, you know, so it's important to me that there's as many rides as possible that we can all do together. Uh, so I look for that. And then I'm also looking for, um, you know, those opportunities where there's, you know, it's going to save time, uh, but also money. So that might mean like a fast lane, you know, one of those types of, of passes or, you know, dining plan, something like that, where I'm going to uh, save time and save money, you know, as well going to the park. So I'm looking for all those different kinds of things, but atmosphere is very important to me. You know, you, you want to feel like you, you've stepped into a different world, you know, when you go to a park, you don't want to feel like you're still, you know, in the city or, you know, just your normal day life. You want to feel like you got away when you go to a park. So I'm looking for that too. Absolutely. And it's that escape from reality. When I go to a theme park, it just makes you feel like you're living a whole other life, your best life in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I look for a theme park that makes memories worth repeating. Exactly. That's the perfect word for it. You know, it's memories worth repeating. Yeah. And like you said, Kim, being in the moment, which is the core of, uh, of mental health and, uh, you know, self-care and therapy and where theme park therapy comes in is, you know, being in the moment, you're not worried about the future anxiety or thinking about the past lamenting and, you know, feeling depression. You're just in that moment, enjoying yourself, whether it be the ride or just the atmosphere or the, the people you're with, and that's what theme parks are, are all about because they promote so much positivity and so much focus on what you're doing right then and there. So. Absolutely. And that's a common thread I have found in the community. And that's one way I have found of, you know, building relationships and lifelong friendships with people that I don't have a lot in common with. You know, you can, you can spend time looking at the ways that you're different or, you know, I'm picking that apart, or you can look at the things, you know, that you do have in common and the common love of theme parks, the common love of roller coasters, when you come together and you focus on that, it just benefits everybody. Okay. So let's go back to the racer. You've told us about your first ride on the racer and you gave us a lot of details about that. Do you remember how and when you went from liking the racer to loving the racer? It was, you know, right off the bat. I mean, it was always loved the ride um, with that. But uh, I would say, you know, we got into the 1980s. It went from loving the ride. I would use the word maybe obsessed, you know, with the (laughs) ride because I was going there just about every day specifically to ride that. Well, I think that's awesome. So was it love? Was it love at first ride, Don? First ride. There you go. That's great. You know that that can make a great T-shirt there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I totally get that obsession thing because I've I've told friends many times it's a good thing that I live in Louisville and I don't live near Kings Island, or that might become a problem. <laughs> well, when I lived there. In 1988 in Louisville, I was still going to Kings Island like four times a week. Um, And I would get off work at five o'clock. I'd get there about seven. I'd stay till close, drive all the way back, you know, come back the next day, do the same thing all over again. Um, If it was my, I had two days off during the week, I was going to be at the park from, you know, open to close. Um, So yeah, I had a lot of miles to my car that summer. I bet. I bet. 
Well, Kim, you know where I live and you know where my number one is. And uh, I've always prided myself on my self-control. So, uh, you know, as much as I would love to be at Islands Adventure every day, you know, I'm not, I'm not, because I got too much other things going on in life, work and, you know, other interests. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time, I don't judge people like Donna, I don't judge you for being obsessed. You know, there was McLean Waddell out in uh, North Carolina. He's the Fury guy. He's been on Fury over 8,000 times, which again, you've been on Racer more, but Racer's a lot older too. So, I mean, there's people out there that have been on, uh, you know, my friend Joe, she's been on Makeover 3,000 times. Um, I think it's cool. I don't look at it as like, uh, you know, imbalance or anything. I just, for me, I, I just, I guess I just have too much going on to get to that level, but you never know. So <laughs> that would be my fear would be that being that close to the park would distract me. <laughs> I have too many other distractions <laughs> that I have to be doing. It seemed like a wise idea to like get up the next morning and can't wake up. But luckily I have my summers off. So that gives me plenty of time to get to the park. And then once we get back in school in the fall, my big road trips and stuff for the year are mostly over. So we're able to make it on most weekends, which is a nice stress relief with, you know, the start of each school year. It very much helps offset that. You know, when I look back on that, you know, and I was there just about every day in the, you know, throughout the 1980s, riding the racer. You know, sure, there was a lot of, you know, better things I could have been doing with my life at that time. You know, I could have, you know, probably at that point in time had a better job and uh, all that. But because um, I wanted a job that I had the flexibility to be able to go there all the time. But, you know, I look back on it, I'm like, you know, nobody was having more fun than me doing that. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, I mean, you want to have fun. You want to, you know, do the things that you enjoy, not do the things that everyone else thinks you should enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely, Don. You know, one of the the sayings, as they say, the kids say these days that I, you know, I certainly say myself is, you know, the saying living your best life. Yeah, that's I really, I'm a big believer in that is living your what you prioritize, what's important to you, what works for you, what gives you a positive life, what makes you happy. You're living your best life. And that's awesome. You know, making it so that, you know, even back in the 80s, you could go every day and ride for several hours. You know, yeah, and I had so many people telling me, you know, that's dumb, that's stupid, you're wasting your time and all that. But you know what? I mean, that's what made me happy. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that's all that matters is you were making yourself happy. So that's that's fantastic. And for me, I can tell you, you know, the off season, once Kings Island shuts down and I don't have anywhere to go, that's a hard time for me because, you know, that's also a very busy time of year at my job. And, you know, I tend to, you know, get into stress overload and that sort of thing. And, you know, while we're off, I try to, you know, focus on exercise and other things too, to, you know, to help offset, offset stress and keep myself in a mentally positive place. But, you know, as we get towards the end of the school year, particularly in Louisville, you know, I have my school, we have, I think it's about a 98% poverty rate. A lot of the kids do not want to be home for the summer. They don't want to. So they go through basically a cycle that we're very familiar with. And as we get closer to the end of the year, some of them will go through what's called sabotaging the relationship. It's easier to act up, cause problems, you know, and break that relationship that they've built up with that teacher 
as opposed to having to say goodbye. So, you know, work can become very trying for me as we get closer to the end of the school year and the kids anticipate that, that don't want to be home for that length of time. And, you know, when Kings Island, we went opening weekend and it literally was just the wind to fill up my sails. I came back, I was supercharged with energy because, you know, I was getting to the point where I was just tired all day, every day. And I realized, you know what, you need to smile because, you know, if you're looking grumpy, the kids are going to be, you know, grumpy and that sort of thing too. And just doing that and getting myself recharged, I've got the energy to keep up with the kids. And during what's, what can be more of a negative time, you know, in the classroom, getting towards the end of the school year, I've never been better. And, you know, the kids are energetic, but I'm energetic too. We're having a great time. And it's due to that mental refreshment that I got from going and being able to spend a full 12 hour day at our home away from home. (laughs) Kim, what is this off season you're speaking of? (sighs) (laughs) I know that's a fairy tale world for you. Uh Very slow clap. All right. So I know I heard Andrew mention you counting rides on the racer. What inspired you to begin counting them? When did you start counting them? Well, from day one, you know, going to the park, I grew up playing sports. So I was very statistically oriented. You know, I'd always know if I had like, I went two for five in a baseball game, what that was going to make my batting average. Um, You know, I knew, all my hockey stats and everything. So I was always, um, you know, into, into the statistics. So I always thought it would be interesting, you know, for me, when we'd go to the park, I'd have the park map and I would write down, you know, what we wrote and everything and put the date on it and, you know, just toss it in the glove compartment or whatever of the car. And, uh, but I always wanted to see, you know, how we spent the day, you know, what I, what I was going to ride the most and just what my average rides per day were going to be on, you know, whether it was the race or the beast, all those other kind of attractions. So it kind of, you know, evolved from there into what it did, but it started out just because that's just what I did. I just tracked uh, the, st- I just thought it was interesting with the analytical part of me, you know, what, what I was going to do the most on those visits. And I started that in 1972 with the park map, just writing down, you know, what we wrote, little stick figures on everything around the map. That is so interesting because I know a lot of people don't really start counting coaster credits or let alone, you know, rides on a specific coaster until they've been riding for a number of years. Yeah, but I mean, I was counting like if, if it was at Kings Island in 1972, Gulliver's Rub-A-Dub, I counted how many times I rode that. You know, so it wasn't just roller coaster, it was every single ride in the park. Okay. And then because I kept, you know, was doing that, you just keep doing that, you know, just what happens. Do you still do that with everything? I do, I do. Now, do you use uh, modern tools like Log Ride for that or? No, I just have like an Excel sheet now that I would write things into, but you know, I'm not right now. I'm not, when I go back at Kings Island, I'm not spending 10 to 10 there writing everything. So it's not as as difficult to keep track. Now it's okay. I rode the racer once the train once the carousel once, you know, you just added two, 
to that list. But, um, you know, back in the, like the eighties, when I was there all the time, riding the race through, I mean, the park map every day, I'd write down the date, how many times I rode every single ride around the park. And, you know, just, I still have those maps, you know, they're in a, in a box somewhere in my house here, but I still have, you know, everything. That's how I knew how many visits I had, how many rides I had, you know, from that. That's cool. Wow. So how many rides do you currently have on racer? 12,063. Wow. Now, 10,000 of those came from 1981 to 1990. So it took me, what, 10 years to get 10,000 rides. And then it's taken me now, what, another 32 years to get <laughs> <laughs> to get 2,063 rides. So I definitely have slowed down a little bit. But that's because, you know, life and, and work got in, in the way. I started working for a hockey team in 1990, right after I got done with the 10,000 rides. And, you know, you just don't have the time. Got married, you just don't have the time that you had before to do that Um you know, it had been very easy for me to go from 10,000 rides to have 50,000 rides. You know, it never got boring. That was a thing for me, too. I didn't set out to set any kind of record on that. It just evolved into that, into what it did. My thing was I just loved the whole park atmosphere, you know, doing all the rides. The racers, what I was known for. Um, but I never did it because I had to have, you know, 5,000 rides, 7,000 rides, 10,000 rides. Because then if I put a goal to it and I put a number that that's what I'm going to try to go to, then it does, I think, become a job. You know, I was going to, I said, I always said I was going to ride it till it wasn't fun anymore. Well, at 10,000, it was still fun, but I was like, well, I better start getting on with it though, or I'm going to have 50,000 rides on this. So um, it just never got boring, you know, and it had to become that or it had become felt like I was obligated to do it. I wouldn't have kept doing it in the 1980s. So we've discussed your love of roller coasters, your love of theme parks and, you know, your hobby as a theme park enthusiast but you've also contributed many, many things to the theme park industry of the contributions that you've made to the theme park industry. What do you feel is your greatest contribution to the theme park industry? And why do you feel that it's your greatest contribution? Well, I think there's a couple of things that I would look at. I would look at the, from the guest perspective, when I was riding the racer, I think, you know, what I did in the 1980s, there was a lot of attention on that, a lot of media coverage and that, and, it, you know, was something that went, you know, kind of international almost with the coverage when I would hit those milestone rides. So I think just at that point in time, just, you know, the awareness that roller coasters are out there, keeping the racer relevant at a time when all these other roller coasters were popping up, you know, the beast in 1979 was the big thing, but then you had rides like the vortex, but you go around the country and everybody, it was the roller coaster, you know, wars were on, everybody was building roller coasters. So to keep the racer, uh, which really, you know, jump started that second golden age of, of roller coasters when it debuted in 1972. So I think to keep that ride relevant through the eighties was, was one thing that was kind of a contribution, I think, because of what I was doing from the ride uh, with the ride. But I think, um, you know, in the other terms of it, uh, as far as, you know, becoming involved with the industry, working for the park and that, I think it was like creating, you know, an event like Coaster Stock where it was getting all these different um, clubs coming together as one, you know, so everybody just the camaraderie part of it, having people, you know, enjoy what an amusement park, what a theme park is more so than, you know, trying to, you know, rack up credits or doing, you know, those kind of things. So I, I think that would be a contribution is just trying to, you know, is just getting everybody 
together as one, you know, bigger groups of people from all these different walks of, of life and different enthusiast groups. You know, Don, as I mentioned earlier, my first visit to Kings Island was in 2001, and then I went again in 2003. And both those visits uh, were under the Paramount days, and I had a wonderful time. I thought, I really thought the, the Kings Island uh, was a really magical place. And then I went back in 2017, and I, I had a decent time, but I felt like something was lost. Now, back in 2017, I mean, I, I've considered myself an enthusiast since since the 90s to a certain degree, but I wasn't as involved in the enthusiast community until say the past few, three or four years. Uh, so 2017, I kind of really didn't know a lot of enthusiasts, you know, personally, maybe some people on Facebook, but I've made so many friends since then and went back to Kings Island for my most recent visit last year. So 2017 and then went back in 2021. And that was a completely different visit because, again, I had so many friends now in the enthusiast community and was with Larry and Gene the whole time, you know, Larry and G. Lyons and, you know, met up with Jeff and Logan Joyner and there's so many other people. In fact, Road, Road Racer with Jeff and Logan. And we had a wonderful ride on Racer, you know, with the recent refurbs done on it and the retracking. Wonderful ride on it. Better than previous rides I'd remembered. But, you know, Kings Island became, and we went to Cedar Point that same trip too. Cedar Point's a wonderful park. But Kings Island was magical again for me. Like it was that first couple of visits in the early 2000s, but not just because of the park, but because of the people. And the people, I, yeah. I, yeah, I've talked to David about this. I consider, I've been in many parks and there's some great parks out there, including one just a few minutes down the street here. But Kings Island is very much a, an enthusiast park, you know, last ride of the night on the beast or on, on Orion or, and, you know, I've been to a lot of events over the years, you know, club events, you know, Ace especially, Coaster Crew now, I'm a member there too. And I've been to Hollywood Nights and I'm excited to go again this year, Kim and I will be there. And Hollywood Nights is incredible because it's as much of a social event as it is getting on the voyage and all that. But when I think about things and I think about how, what you do with Coaster Stock, because I've never done Coaster Stock, which is what I'm leaning to here. Um, I feel like I need to go. Larry and Gene have been trying to talk me into going and it's not that I don't want to, it's just, you know, it's fitting it in and traveling because it's not nearby for me. Um, but I, th I, I think, you know, after kind of hearing you talk about it and them talk about it, I'm, I really want to commit to going and uh, in a future year because, you know, the enthusiast park, Kings Island, what it is combined with a special event like that and what you do at that event, I know I've seen all the coverage, you know, that what people get to do, the unique experiences. I, I, I can't wait to experience it, to be quite honest. Yeah. And, you know, the more I think about that question, too, um, you know, Kim is, you know, maybe it's, you know, when you look back on when I first started riding the racer all the time, there wasn't, you know, there was Carl Weichelman was riding the beast and I was you know, doing the racer. Um, but Carl didn't sustain it. I did, you know, went on and did that for the decade long. I think maybe one of my contributions would be for people who love theme parks. It was okay to go more than once a year. You know, it was okay. If this is your interest to, to, you know, nobody, nobody really, I mean, the season passes had just been out for a couple of years. So it wasn't that common, you know, where people would go maybe once or twice a year, but you know, maybe it was okay. If this is what you like to do, you know, go do it, you know, and then you start to see, as you get into the late 80s, the 90s, up to today, you know, you talk about the Fury guy with 8,000 rights, things like that, that maybe, you know, my contribution was, you know, just kind of being a little bit of a trendsetter in the 1980s, you know, telling enthusiasts, it's okay, you know, if this is what you like, don't hide it, you know, don't be afraid of what your friends think, go do it, have fun. Now, by the way, Don, you know, I'm assuming, but, you know, sometimes maybe it's not, you know, you can't always assume because sometimes you're wrong, but is Coaster Stock, is a reference to Woodstock, is that how you named it? 
gathering of people. That's what I wanted it to be because I knew I, I I called it that because you know the Woodstock was that gathering of people right. coming okay. together. So that's where the name came from because I knew that people were going to descend upon Kings Island from you know coast to coast Canada. You know, so we get to that event. You know, anywhere from twenty five to thirty states. We get Canada. Sometimes we get you know European countries, and that uh, COVID kind of slowed that down the last couple of years. Right. Um, but we had years, you know, we had you know people from Switzerland, Japan, London, you know, coming to this event. So, um, you know, so I looked at it as what would be the right name when, you know, we're looking at this as being, you know, not a kind of a regional local thing, but just a gathering of all these enthusiasts from everywhere. And the name Coaster Stock kind of evolved from that thought process. That's great. Well, I definitely, as I was alluding to earlier, I definitely plan on representing the great state of Florida and the future of Coaster Stock. So. And you definitely hit the nail on, you, on the head when you said a gathering of people, because when I think of coaster stock, the first thing as an enthusiast that I don't really think of is riding coasters. It's no, the, it's the people, it's the family atmosphere. And, you know, we've seen all of the activities that are planned for this year. And I'm just, so excited because I view it also as, ooh, I'm going to be with my group, but if we're going to be randomly picked to be put possibly with other people, here's another opportunity to make even yet more friends. Yeah. And it's designed to do things like that with these different activities where you're in a group of people you don't even know. Last year, mm-hmm. we had a, we have a game that's called KI Monopoly. Um, so we had people that have never met each other. You know, they're all thrown in this room and they're playing this tournament. Well, by the end of that, those eight people, you know, spent the second day there. They were together all the time because they just hit it off. So those are the kind of things that I try to do is uh, to get like-minded people together, you know, um, you know, make new friends, but also, you know, look forward to seeing that the friends that you'd met and just really have it be that just that, you know, one big family reunion. Yeah. Awesome. And, I, and I view it, you know, as an opportunity to, to possibly reach out to somebody that could be in the same position I was in a few oh, yeah. years ago. Maybe they're there by themselves and they don't really know anybody, you know? So just, you know, another opportunity to bring someone into the circle of friends, make them feel included, you know, and hopefully make them want to come back again and join us. Yeah. You know, last year, I think, I think it was last year we had um, before one of the, guest speaker things I started asking the crowd I started pointing to people and I said you know who you with somebody says American Coaster Enthusiast point to someone else who you with Great Ohio Coaster Club point to someone else who you with you know I'm with Coaster Buzz another one I'm with Coaster Crew and finally one guy you know I said what about you and he goes I'm with Coaster Stock you know, and then everybody was like, oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, so everybody kind of dropped their guard on what club you were with, you know, was no longer, you know, the political piece of it and all that. And it was just everybody just together for the same reason. You just love parks. You want to have fun. You want to talk to people that share that same interest. And I did hear you mention earlier, too, you know, you felt like it was a big contribution keeping the racer relevant, you know, through the development of different types of coasters. And I just want to say, at least from my perspective, you've really knocked the ball out of the park this year and last year too, making the racer still relevant in the year 2022. Yeah, a lot the, of work has gone into it. With the retrack and when I saw it on opening day this year, wow. I mean, it's yeah. I've never 
in my lifetime seen racer look like that i've seen pictures of it but i've never seen it yeah the one time i rode it this year uh right before we opened on the on the um first weekend as the train got to the top of the lift and i looked out again and saw it all red white and blue it just brought the flashback you know to 1972 all over again for me so for me you know like i said a lot of people a lot of our guests majority of our guests you know since it's been 30 something years had never seen it red white and blue uh, but for me, it brought it like full circle back to, to how it was supposed to be. I was so excited because I wasn't even born until 1975. Honestly, don't remember when I started riding racer. But when I saw it, to me, it was literally just like a walk back in time. Mm-hmm. This was it. This is what it was like, you know, in the ooing and the awing of opening day. I just felt so excited like i was writing it for the first time all over again it's absolutely incredible you know uh you know don you know for my visit this year to king's island i'm, I'm definitely planning to go and talk to larry jean about it and just you know what i'm just waiting to make sure the beast is reopening some that's one of the things i'm excited about but besides that i mean besides the typical stuff seeing friends there and and just the camaraderie and the people and then and the, some of my favorite rides there great coasters uh, I'm some of the visual things I'm looking forward to. One of them is I'm very patriotic and seeing the red, white, and blue, um, you know, the, the uh, updated paint scheme and freshened paint scheme, I should say for, for racer. But the other is also visual, which is um, friend, friend of mine, friend of the podcast, actually Aaron from pursuit of thrills, the incredible work that he did with the banner. And I guess some of the other artwork in the park, mm-hmm. what he's done, he's had quite a year doing that. And then he just got married and I'm just so, so happy for him. He's a great guy. And uh, actually, had him on the podcast here, so I'm just excited to seeing that and this visual stuff, and um, you know, riding the racers and it's being kept up so well. And you know, it's just something that's just so phenomenal, by the way, about Kings Island is you know, it's a great collection of coasters, great collection of rides, great food. You know, roses pizza, that's all I need right there. Um, but and other things, of course, are great too. But I love steel and wood coasters equally. Uh, in fact, a couple of coasters that are in my top ten are wood coasters. I'm not one of those only steel or only wood, but I do love wooden coasters. And just the wood coaster collection at Kings Island is second to none. Second to none. Even before the retracking of the Beast, I wrote the Beast last summer. And I know it's not, it wasn't at that point as great as it was in the early days, but you know what? It still ran wonderfully. I had a blast on it last ride of the night. One night so I was there. Mystic Timbers is my favorite, one of my favorite GCIs. If not, it's very high up there. Fantastic, unique layout. And the racer, just the love that you guys have given it, retracking now the, now the painting. Um, but it's, it's so much fun to ride. I was blown away by how good my racer ride was last summer. So, I mean, just, you know, the love of wooden coasters, these classics, classic designs, if you will, um, just it's another thing that makes Kings Island so special. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about the racer and the beast, you know, putting the work that we have done and, you know, done with it and, and with the retracking and a little bit of reprofiling, but, um, you know, those rides, you know, the racer 50th anniversary, the beast is 43. We want those rides to be around you know, for another 40, 50 years for everybody to enjoy. So, uh, you know, it's great that there's that uh, commitment, you know, by Cedar Fair to keep those rides in, in mint condition. Okay, so we have talked about how riding coasters, particularly that first ride on the racer, has impacted your life. How would you say that working in the theme park 
industry specifically has impacted your life? You know, for me to be able to, you know, work in an industry that I love, um, but to be able to do it at a place that I grew up, you know, my childhood years, my, you know, young adult years, to be able to do all of that, you know, my own backyard, that makes it extra special, you know, with that. Most people, you have to go somewhere else uh, to do what you want to do. You know, if it's whether it's the theme parks, the sports industry, you know, I did had to do that with, with hockey when I was working for hockey teams, go to different cities and that to, you know, to do what I wanted to do. So to be able to do that um, there uh, at Kings Island, you know, where I grew up, that makes it, you know, special. But I think also what's, you know, impacted it for me is just the little things and just seeing everybody have as much fun as I did. You know, we spend, you know, all winter, you know, and those, those, I won't use the word off season because there is no off season really when you do what we do, but uh, to see everybody, um, you know, coming through those gates every morning, you know, that's rewarding to see that, you know, the, you got the word out, you know, that you're open, you got the word out about this event. Uh, those kind of things are, are as, as thrilling as riding a ride when you work for a, a park, you work in the industry uh, to see the results of all the effort you put into to making you know, sure people are aware that this is happening. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Let's talk about advice that you could have to give to, to other people, people that may be, you know, stuck in fear, wanting to overcome fear, or, you know, just life goals in general. What advice can you give to those that are listening tonight? You know, I think you want to step out a little bit out of your own, you know, your comfort zone. You know, sometimes, you know, everybody's afraid to do this or afraid to do that. Um, but just sometimes take a chance and just, uh, you know, go out and, and just try to have some fun. Uh, but I think, you know, too, you know, do you, you know, don't try to do what everyone else wants you to do. Don't try to do things the way people want you to do it. Do it the way that works best for you as an individual, what you're comfortable with. Um, but, uh, you know, that would be the advice I would have for people is, um, you know, don't let other people influence who and what you are. Absolutely. And that's something I myself have been a work in progress on over the past few years. Yeah. I mean, there's pressure too. I mean, there, you get a lot of pressure from friends, family members, you know, and, you know, sometimes you got to just find a way, you know, around that to, um, you know, you, you want to be happy, you know, you, you only go around once. so if you're living what someone else wants you to be, you're not going to be happy. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be miserable a lot of times. So um, just have that courage to, you know, be yourself and do the things that you like to do, the things you enjoy doing. And if you do that, you're just going to feel more fulfilled and, uh, you know, just feel better about everything. Absolutely. That it brings me back to the movie Ferris Bueller's day off. I'm sure you've probably seen that. Oh yeah. I still remember his infamous quote, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Yes. <laughs> and um, truer words were never spoken. You know, the yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you do miss it if you start to worry about these little things, you know, you're too guarded on things or you get caught up and uh, in, in things that don't really matter at the end of the day. Absolutely. Okay. And for your last question. Where can we find you on social media? Well, the best place is probably going to be on Twitter. Uh, it's just Don Helbig at twitter.com. Um, Facebook, just under my, my name. And same thing with Instagram. So those are the three places that I'm at. I'm most active 
active, however, on, on Twitter. And those are the kind of places if somebody had questions or wanted to interact, whatever, that's the best channel uh, to do that with. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for being our guest on the podcast. I know with the opening of Kings Island and Coaster Stock approaching, you've had a very busy schedule. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and share your story. So thank you for being on the Coaster Challenge podcast, Don. Thank you. All right, well, thanks. And, uh, you know, I, I want to thank you for having me on the podcast because it's always, you know, nice to be able to talk uh, with people who share the same interests that I do. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks again. You're welcome. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today.